Today on the show, we're talking about making tough financial choices. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name is Courtney. I'm your host. And today I'm joined with Trevor. Thank you for being here with us as we have another episode of Simple Money Solutions Podcast. And this week we're talking about what to do and how to approach making tough financial decisions. So everybody listening to this has had to make at least at some point in their life a major financial decision which was really hard to come to and I, I think you a lot of people will try to avoid making financial decisions and and by not making decisions these tough financial decisions time ends up expiring on, on a situation and the decision gets made for you quite often so y- you can't even avoid tough financial decisions in life you have to make them but uh, I want to say on a smaller level if you want to be if you want to get ahead financially you need to be making small financial decisions every day and when i say a small financial decision it's like can i afford this coffee or can i afford this new article of clothing you have to you you should be posing a financial dilemma on a lot of things i mean it'd be exhausting if every aspect of your life was that way but you should have to make small financial decisions on a regular basis. But these major financial decisions, I think everyone's going to have to make some, like it or not. And I think it's important that you have a process that you follow when confronted with a major financial decision. So I like that you contrasted more minor financial decisions with more major financial decisions. And in your opinion, I mean, yes, this art, this whole episode is about uh, the the larger financial decisions. But in your opinion, do you think those smaller financial decisions are more important or more significant because we we come upon them more often, and maybe the larger ones are quote unquote a little bit more obvious? Well, I think we figure out how to deal with the, the everyday financial decisions. We we just program ourselves to react and. and you know, put in a very small process. You know, I check my budget, I check my bank account, and then I know I can do this. Whereas the major financial decisions, we we tend to not have anything in place to deal with them. And it tends to, for a lot of people, it tends to be crisis management. And and you end up feeling bad about the outcome. And it's because you didn't have a good process to follow. So you do believe that the bigger financial decisions, I, it's kind of, I mean, I'm not sure I'm asking an obvious question here, but are you saying... Well, one, one doesn't help you with the other. So being really good at everyday small financial decisions, I don't think that helps you with your with dealing with major financial decisions. I would think it's a whole different toolbox. But oh, one could argue that if you if you mess up making those small financial decisions on a day-to-day basis does the cumulative effect weigh as heavily on your finances as as kind of maybe misguiding yourself on the larger financial decisions actually you raise a good point so if you screw up and you don't make the small financial decisions and you just live life large it will end up resulting in some major financial decision that you have to make meaning you've amassed a whole bunch of consumer debt that now has got reached a breaking point of bankruptcy that now you have to deal with at a very large scale. So you're right. If you don't master the small decisions, they will they could turn into large decisions. And I feel like on the podcast we often talk about the day-to-day choices and decisions that we do make that really cause a cumulative uh, financial success. So I really like that today we're devoting our attention to talking about those major financial decisions and and that kind of that process that we go through to make those. So it's- well, we talk we we talk a lot about habits, right? And in those small financial decisions, it, hopefully they become habit like. Because, like I said, if you had to stop and and scrutinize everything, you know, and pull out your spreadsheets before you buy a coffee, you would be exhausted at the end of the day. So, I, I would hope those small financial decisions you've kind of put you've pre pre-programmed yourself to make the right decision over time. And you know what? That is a I'm glad you raised that point. It's a phenomenal one in that 
we can't really can't it's it's hard to practice i guess that that programming of of making those big large uh, decisions such as buying a house or buying a car because it doesn't happen as often as say buying a coffee so i really like that point and and it's it's to your point it, it, we have to practice um one we can practice and one we kind of just have to it's not as intuitive you know i want to just you know my thing with expressions right i, I want to give a couple expressions that they kind of relate to these major financial decisions. So one is kids do what they want. Adults do what they have to. So, so when you're making your decisions, it, it, it's often you you have to put your child brain, and we, we all live every day with child brain and adult brain. We, you have to put your child brain away when, when you're making adult decisions. You mentioned buying a car. I mean, it's easy to buy the car you want, and, but it could put you in, in financial peril rather than buying the car that you need. You know, that, that, that is, I guess satisfying needs is, is far more important than satisfying wants when it comes to these major financial decisions. And, and that's, and that's a great kind of underlying, um, idea that we should keep tucked away in the back of our mind when we make any large financial decision. So Trevor, we are highlighting an incredible article today, um, called eight tips to help you make a major financial decision. It's by Ryan Gina, and it is from cashmoneylife.com. We'll have it linked in the show notes. You can review it after the show. But he lists out a few uh, larger financial decisions we make in our lives. But Trevor, what do you think if you could order them in maybe um, a more largest or more significant or or that one that we should consider the most um, to, to maybe those that uh, are less heavy than, than those kind of top three maybe? What, what would you kind of throw out there? Well, I think where you live is really a, a significant decision that can have lasting impacts uh, if you, the cost of moving, be it a renter or buying a house, the transaction costs, the, the costs in, in moving yourself, they can be a real burden. So I think having a process to decide where you live, because sometimes people will, will choose too expensive a place to live. So they'll get that wrong and they will stay there because the, the energy and effort required to change that situation it looks so overwhelming that they'll just stay and live with bad math in a place they really can't afford. So I think choosing where you live is, it it it, it, it impacts you on a day-to-day basis in all aspects of your life. The next one would be choosing, you know, choosing a job because we're pretty reliant on our income. And if we get that wrong and, and we fail at a job and we lose our income, that can be pretty detrimental to your financial life as well. So those two, I think everyone could relate to. And you, those ones are kind of universally relatable regardless of your age. The, these these are, are both high risk, you know, get them wrong and, and things could go bad in a hurry. I don't care if you're just starting in life or you're on the cusp of retirement. These, these two, those two decisions can really have an impact on your life on a, on a day-to-day basis and long-term. So I like that you, in your examples, went one step deeper than just uh, buying a house as, as stated in this article. I like that you kind of encapsulated the whole experience, i.e. where you actually live and everything that goes around with that. And I like you highlighted all the, maybe the uh, less tangible aspects that come along with it. Like you said, the transaction, transaction cost and, and, and the actual, the moving expenses. I mean, all of that definitely needs to be considered. So when we, when we, we'll take the, the things that you talked about moving and, and, and getting and accepting a job or or moving into a new job opportunity. So when we're, when we're making large financial decisions like that, there are some, some kind of processes we should, we should undergo and consider when we, when we make those decisions. Um, so there's kind of eight things that you should keep in mind when you are making a financial decision. We'll go through that. But before we do, Trevor, I want to ask you, you didn't list, I mean, y- yes, you're the two things that you brought up were relatable to all ages, but would you say, uh, considering your transportation, is that, is that something that you put up there? It's funny you mentioned that. I just got some bad news about one of my cars today and, uh, it, 
I'm looking at a $2,800 repair bill if I want to keep one of my cars. And everyone knows it listens. I have I have some aging cars, so I'm not giving up much. But I, I'm going to be faced with either repairing an older car for, I think, $2,800 is pretty significant, or moving on and buying a new car, which not new, but a new used car to replace it. So I'm kind of in that situation where I think I'm not going to repair my old car. I've, I've kind of gone through a process of reasoning through why I wouldn't do that. So that's kind of a major financial decision. So I, I've got a repair bill. I've got to decide, you know, is this something I want to invest in this car? And you can look at it a couple ways. You know, I know the car. I know the history of the car. But there's a lot of things I don't know about the car. As it gets older, there's there's more and more mystery around it. So anyway, I've decided not to not to keep it. And I went through a process, me and my wife did it, of why we wouldn't keep that car and repair it. And so now I have faced with buying a new car. And I haven't bought a car in 10 years. So the thing with major financial decisions, if you don't make them frequently enough, the the, the skill set you brought to do that I brought to buy this car 10 years ago, I have to be skeptical of that and say, are those same skills going to apply 10 years later? Or has has the car, car buying experience changed? The used car bar- car buying experience has it changed where you know I, I can't apply the exact same process to so some of the things are universal and they're going to stand the test of time but maybe some of the other approaches they i'm missing something so I, I have to do a bit of research and, and just make sure i have a solid process in place for buying a car so uh first off i, I can't believe your car finally uh it's been going really, it's been going really strongly for such a long time. And like you said, anyone who's been listening to this podcast is knowing your car is a, is such a champion. Well, and when something goes, so here, when you, when you're making this big financial decision, it's because it, it, on the surface, it looks like something went wrong, but you know, something didn't go wrong. I drove this car, this car's 12 years old. I drove it for 10 years. I owned it for 10. It's a 12 year old car that went very right. I mean, I, I did well. I got a, a, a almost 300,000 kilometers on this car. That to me is a win. So to look at this and say something's gone wrong or something went bad, I, I think is a, is a horrible way to look at it. So maybe that's one of the first things is when you're making a financial decision, it, it doesn't have to be from a, a point of, of what went wrong. It's just this this asset this thing i own expired it's it's useful life had been fully consumed and now i need to move on and that's how i'm looking at this car i got all i could have out in fact i think i got more than the average person would get out of a car so i i i'm quite happy uh, that i i i got that car and it kind of it, it didn't leave me stranded on a highway which was a it's a great ending right I, i'm going to drive this thing when i go to pick up my new car my new used car. I want to keep saying that new used car because I'm never buying. Is a it new a sixty thousand dollar truck? No, no, it won't be a sixty thousand dollar truck. It's going to be a, a Honda Civic, is what I've kind of dialed into, and I'm going to be driving this car to go get it. So a worse ending, and I, I, I'm a person that likes to practice gratitude. So a worse ending would have been me getting towed off the highway at you know three or four hundred dollar tow bill, and being left in the middle of the night somewhere. So. There could have been a worse ending to this. So I, I think I'm quite happy that it unfolded the way it did. The only thing that could have went better is this: I could be shopping for a car in the summer instead of the winter. So you can't have everything. So on that note, let's jump into Ryan's eight uh, considerations when we go through making a financial decision. So the first, uh, the first thing we should do is listen to our gut. And this one, I don't know. You know, if I asked my wife, what's your gut say? She just, she gets so mad at that, <laughs> that question, right? Like not everybody's got a gut instinct or has one they want to trust. And I would look back and say, you know, I, I think if you're an introverted conservative person, you really don't have a gut instinct you're going to run with. But there's a, these extroverted sort of risk-taking people and I'm not knocking them. It just, that's how they're designed their gut tells them a lot, but your gut instinct, this is when I know my gut instincts kicked in is when I get really close to closing the deal on something. And then I walk away saying, you know, this just doesn't feel right. 
and anyone's been there, this just doesn't feel right. So, and here's where my gut kicks in for me is I remember I was buying a house and I put an offering on it and uh, I put a really low offering and the people accepted it. It was it was an incredibly low offer. It was almost an insultingly low offer on this house. And the people accepted it. And of course, I had conditions of financing on this offer. And I thought, first, I was so excited. I thought, oh, I'm getting this house for a steal. I mean, these people took my offer. And then I started, you know, a couple, a day later, I'm thinking, wait a minute. I'm getting this house for, you know, next to nothing. And the house was sitting empty. So all of a sudden, all this radar went up on me. And I said, my gut said, something's not right here. I, I, and I, I, there was nobody I could sort of trust in this situation. So I just, I ended up saying the finding, I couldn't get financing and I walked away from it. But when you put in, when you getting something for an incredible deal, I mean, just so far below market price, be it a car, anything, you're missing something. There, there's something you don't see. So I, I, my gut for me is I should be always willing to pay market price for a quality product. And if you if you get too good of a deal, that's for me. This my gut says, walk away. Did you ever find out what was wrong with that house to to know your gut was uh, was on was on point, or did you, or are you just kind of walked away knowing that whatever happens, you're 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 glad you listened to that gut? I I, I have no idea what was wrong with the house. It ended up selling, and I don't I don't know what it sold for, but I was getting this. House, I I was getting it below what they were listing for and below market price. So for all I know, I was dealing with desperate sellers, right? So maybe I did walk away from a great deal, but it, the house was in less than perfect condition. I I knew that about it, but then I, I thought maybe there's things I I just I'm not seeing, and and I had a home inspector look at it, and and they they kind of pointed at a few things and then i thought well if if this is not good maybe there's other things that are not good the, whenever you're looking at a house and it it has known problems then there's probably unknown problems to go along with those known problems and I, there was just too many things stacking on top of each other for me to say okay the price is way too low i already know there's things wrong with the house so there's probably things wrong with the house that i don't know and I just started piling all these things up. And what I ended up with is a great big pot of negatives. And I, I was I was hard-pressed to find a positive. The, the, other than the price, that, that's the only thing that was positive in this whole deal, is, is this house had a really low price. Everything else was negative. So my gut said, too many negative things, I'm walking away. So Trevor, that is where your gut spoke to you about a negative thing, like you're saying, but is there ever been a time when your gut, your gut was singing to you about something positive that you had to jump on this chance that this was, this was something you couldn't pass up? Well, you know, the, the, back to my thing. So what would motivate someone to buy a house below market price and be blinded by all the things that could be wrong is financial greed that's why i'm saying you should be willing to pay market price for something and so it, i tend to want to pay fair price for fair service or fair product i, I i'm rarely looking for a deal and, and and so and that could be just me being super conservative so but but not really i i i can't think of anything where i I, I thought I, I I took advantage of somebody. In fact, I don't want to be in this position where I, where I think I I've took it taken advantage of somebody to get a deal because that's really that's the other side of you getting a, a good deal is taking advantage of somebody else. And this isn't a doggy dog world. I, I mean, you you should you should have a conscience, right? You, you shouldn't want to steal like get such a deal from somebody who who maybe doesn't realize they're they're underselling something of that they have you shouldn't want to steal in fact i had somebody i was selling a kitchen table a while ago on kijiji and i i think i had it for it was a table and four chairs and i think i had it for a hundred dollars it was a solid wood table and chair set and i put it for a hundred dollars and a lady came to look and she says i'll take it 
And she was going to give me $100. I said, well, wait a minute. I assumed you were going to talk me down to at least 80. So why don't you just give me 80? So there was a situation where I was going to get more than I thought for this table, but I thought, well, I don't want to take advantage of this person. I know that some of these chairs are wobbly and I don't know if she noticed that. And so I said, you know what? I'll take 80. So I talked her down for something I was selling. And I felt good about that because I didn't want to take advantage of somebody. I don't think you should ever want to take advantage of somebody. No, that's a, that's a very, very fair point. So let's move on to the second uh, thing that you think about when you're making a major financial decision. And number two, and, and maybe arguably the most important, is do your research. So, you know, if you go back in time, so go back to like pre-internet. And I know you can't, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> so go back to pre-internet. When you wanted to go buy an appliance, like a, a fridge, the only way you could learn about these things is go to, you know, six or seven different stores and ask the salesperson to tell you about their fridge. And they would tell you all about the fridge. You go to the next person, they'd tell you all about the fridge. Salespeople really served, and I'm not, I'm not this sounds horrible, they really they served a different purpose then. They were your source of information about products. And so then you would, you would drive around all weekend, all Saturday, because you couldn't, stores were closed on Sunday back in the day. But so, and then you'd go home Sunday and you'd sort of, you didn't have spreadsheets, so you'd write it on a piece of paper and all the pros and cons and and you'd you'd go back out the next weekend and maybe buy it. So that that's how research used to be done. So now I, I think you, of course, everyone does the research on the internet. They read product reviews and and, and they show up. The problem with doing your research is I think you now, so in today's day with the internet, you tend to get into, I do, I tend to get into splitting hairs. You know, you're comparing features that you don't even want between two washing machines, that you, features you're never going to use, a wash cycle that just you would never use, or features on your fridge that, or your stove, or, or even on a car, you know, options you don't need. But but you're 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 splitting hairs on them, doing your research on the internet. So I I think it's important to do some research, but I think more importantly, and it's later in this article, is you really need to decide what's important to you on this major purchase. So if you're buying a house, is it space? Is that what's important to you? Do you have a large family and you just need space, and, and you'll repair or live with whatever condition the house is in, or do you are you on the edge of retirement and you want granite countertops and in a new kitchen? Is that what's important to you? So I think when you're doing your research, you need to know what's important to you. And otherwise, the research it becomes this endless project because you can just go deep dive in into so many aspects. If on house buying or car buying a car, you you could do such a deep dive on on so many you know rabbit holes that, that you'll never come to a conclusion. It'll be paralysis by analysis. So I, I think research has its place. You need to do your due diligence. And here's one thing I do with research is I look up product reviews. Say I was going to buy Bluetooth earbuds or something Whoa. crazy like that. Whoa. <laughs> I go onto something like Amazon and I look up the one-star reviews and I say, this is the people who are telling the truth as far as I'm concerned. Because there's a whole bunch of people that bought it and they want to convince themselves they like it. So they get a five-star review and they say, oh, this thing's shiny. I love it. I look at the one-star reviews and there's a lot of haters on there, but I, I look at the one-star reviews and say, can I live with that flaw? You know, is, is that flaw going to make my life suck, right? So if if it's flawed and I guess say, well, gee, that's really what I wanted this thing to do. And you know, there's 10 people that say it doesn't really do that. Then I'm out, right? I don't want it. So that that's that's a research I do a lot. So if you're looking for for a car, um, here's another thing with with the internet in research is if you type in, um, say you're thinking of buying a Honda Civic and you type in problem with a Honda Civic, right? Well, guess what you're going to find? <laughs> you're going to find nothing but problems with Honda Civics. So you tend to find what you're looking for, and if you're looking for problems on a product, that's what you will find. And if you're just looking for people that love this product, that's what you'll find. So research is something that you you can do too much, too many rabbit holes. So 
I think you just have to, you have to decide what's important to you and then put the blinders on and focus on that. These are the things this product needs to do for me. And that is how I'm going to approach it. No, those are, uh, it's, it's, it's a good example. And I actually, going back to the, um, to Amazon, I thought like one of my, it always sticks in my, in my, in my head because it was just this, this is rabbit hole of a, of a process. But I remember uh, a few year, years ago, I was looking for a DSLR camera. So just kind of like a kind of just uh, with just your kind of basic D- DSLR camera. And so I, I, I went on, I started looking, I was looking at Canon's at the time and I, I found one model and they all kind of go in obviously a series one's released. And then I, and then I got caught up looking at, at the years they released and the specs. And then on Amazon it's in, and in, in actually I think it might've been, a best buy I was on to in, in future shop and the, those sites and, and, and you start looking at them and then there's a, there's a package where you can get a, a, a two different lenses and then, just, but it's just only a little bit more, maybe $20 more. And then, and then you keep looking a little bit and you can upgrade the camera and then get three different lenses and then, or you can upgrade the camera again and get a case and a tripod and four lenses. And by the time I was done looking at cameras, I mean, I almost had in my cart like f- five lenses and a uh, two tripods and a, uh, and a, two bodies and I'm just like and I kind of just stopped myself I'm like whoa Courtney what are you doing but see that's where you, you if you if you decided up front what's important to you you know what do you what do you need this camera to do you know what is it what what does it need to do for you right now it, it it would it would really streamline that process right oh yeah definitely and I, I to your to your point I think when you have all these kind of comparable uh, comparable objects sitting beside each other um online it's it's easy for your research to and and for you to lose track like you're saying and kind of let your your want list evolve into something it it wasn't to begin with and i'm glad you mentioned the camera so that's a great example where a camera is a major financial decision for you and maybe a uh, a side purchase for me no, that's a really good point. It, it's you're right. However, wherever we are, maybe in our financial journey, therefore, whatever the kind of the final financial impact of that purchase will be, and and in our profession too. If if you are a photographer by trade, I mean, that that camera is is your is your primary source of of income and primary source of of everything that you do. So, good. That's a fa- fabulous point. It really a one financial decision is is going to be different for the next person. So Trevor, let's skip on to the third element that we should consider when making a financial decision. And this third point is list all of your pros and your cons. And this one is is far and away the most important one. And this one, you actually, it, it, it it's so critical that you actually write down the pros and cons on a piece of paper. You have to actually write them down. So let's just say you're deciding of a job, a job offer. And obviously you've got all the pros and cons of your existing job and all the pros and cons of this future job. And the, the here's where it gets really hard is because the existing job, you're kind of blinded by all the things you don't like about it. Otherwise you wouldn't have been looking for a job, right? And the prospective job, you're going to be blinded by all the upsides, right? It could be the job location, the pay, the type of work, that you've been promised and you're going to be looking at all the upside. So this is where you need somebody to help you come up with the opposite side of that list. So you need a coworker to help you come up with the pros for your existing job without question. They need to, and if they can't give you enough, you, you'll come up with the cons. That's, that's on you. That's easy. You need someone to help you with the pros for the, for the job you currently have. And for the job you're thinking of taking, you need somebody to help you with the cons on that job. And that's when it becomes really hard. And for that one, so places like, there's websites like Indeed where they you can read reviews of people who work for that company. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Like the, the employer gets a rating. Yeah, it's like on, it's on the side there and you can. Yeah. And I think that's a fabulous thing. So you can learn a lot about a, a company culture by looking at those type of reviews, I, the, all the big job sites have these, and I I've dug into those qu- quite deep, and you you start to see, wow, that sounds like where I work, you know, and and 
And, and those people tend to be really quick to share the negative aspects of an employer. That seems to be the favorite of a lot of people on those sites. So that's how I would approach finding, you know, that major decision, should I accept this job? But you have to put this not on, and I wouldn't even put it on a computer. I would put it on a paper with a pen, pen and paper. And then you need to put these somewhere where you can see them and, and just go down them. And, and maybe you look at them independently, look at them together, but list of pros and cons. So and when, if you're buying, say you're looking at buying a house, I, well, the house I was thinking of buying where I put that really low offer in. Well, on the pro side, all I had was this really good price. That was it. That's all I had. In fact, it was on a busy street. So I didn't even have that go. It didn't even have that going for it. And then I had the con, the con list went on forever, right? It, the stuff it needed. And it, the only thing I had was a good price and it was a, it was a fairly large home. And that was it. On the con side, I, I had a, I had a probably 10, 12 things written down that, that I didn't like about this house. But you have to write them down and, and it forces you to think about it. And then if, if you if you look back and say okay well, maybe that's not really a con, you have to stroke it off. You actually have to you know stroke that out and say it's not, and th- that's a conscious decision. You can't. But if you try to keep these juggled in your head, you'll forget them, and in in one day you'll be all for it, the next day you'll be against it. So I love the list of pros and cons that that saved me from that house. And while we're talking about reviewing a place of employment, there's actually a site. Um, I've actually avidly used it, but I've seen it always pop up in uh, in searches when you're kind of looking at employment opportunities. It's, it's called Glassdoor, and um, you can it helps you kind of find it find employment opportunities that fit your life. So um, there's company reviews on there and uh, salary reviews and it's just kind of different ways to get an inside uh, look at, um, at, at prospective companies. Again, I've never used the site. It's popped up. I mean, if anyone is a, a huge advocate of the site, I'd love to know how it benefits you when you're, uh, you're job searching. So let's let's move on to the fourth point. So there's eight, uh, eight points and this is the fourth of eight. And the fourth point is communicate. And so this is if you, you have a, a, a life partner who you're making these decisions with, you, you've got to communicate. And, and, and as soon as you start feeling a little uncertain about something, get it out there. Get that, get that point out there. But you can't quite often, when you're making these major decisions in life, you, you can't often reach out to people in your social circle. Because in fact, if you do, it may cloud your judgment and give you it may give you better because somebody else's like there's no sense me asking somebody who drives a $65,000 truck if I should buy this used Honda Civic right they're gonna have zero input for that so this is really and they don't know your personal financial situation so you can't really when you're making financial decisions it's really you and your life partner that that it comes down to now if you're doing this alone you you might want to reach out to somebody who really cares about you like a parent an aunt, an uncle, a brother, or a sister, those people can be great resources because they chances are they have your best interests at heart and they wouldn't steer you wrong. But again, they won't have all the facts. They, they don't have to live with this financial decision. So you have to take their input in in, in bits and pieces. But I, I would avoid making, if you have a life partner, definitely bring them in on financial, you know, I, I would hate to think you're making major financial decisions. For instance, I got to buy this car. My wife, she she really doesn't care. She just wants, for her, here's what a car is important. You put the key in, you turn it, it starts. <laughs> that is a great car. She <laughs> loves that car, right? You put the key in, you turn it, it doesn't start. That's a, that's a bad car, right? That's, <laughs> that's my wife's perspective on cars. But I, I know that, but I still bring her in on the car buying decision. She's going to come for the test drive. She's going to look at it. Because she has to live with the financial cost of this vehicle and maybe the whining and complaining I might do if it's not the car I really wanted, right? So there's a lasting impact for her. But so even if your your life partner doesn't care or doesn't appear to be, they, they, they're invested in it financially. I mean, they're parting with the, the money. So they, they have to care at some level. So I think you need to bring them in. And, and, and to your point about 
being selective about who you bring in on your financial decisions. Like we talked about in a couple episodes ago, no one else is living the exact same financial life that you're living. No one else is going down the same path. No one else is pursuing the same long-term goals as you are. So to, to think that you could to reach out to someone whose whose perspective may be different, experiences may be different than your own is 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 a little bit is crazy to think that you could get this really unbiased um outlook from them when in in actuality you should maybe be asking yourself those tough questions no and that's a good point everyone's unique so even if you asked a coworker about you know whether i should stay here or move on to another job they don't have the same financial expenses you do they might not even make the same money you do even though you work for the same company you might have the same job the chances of your you having the same financial equation that a coworker does is, is highly unlikely. So nobody's going to be able to compare that, right? So somebody who is making a $65,000 truck payment every month might feel differently about uh, switching jobs and the risk that goes with that than somebody who, who went out and bought a used car and has no debt. So it really is unique to the each individual. So moving on to point number five, and the fifth consideration we should make when we cons- when we take on a tough financial decision, any financial decision that's pretty major, is to sleep on it. So Trevor, has this has this worked for you? Do you implement this often when you make uh, larger financial decisions? It, it does, and what what happens is you get caught up in in comparing two houses, two cars, two jobs, and, and you end up in all this debating and del- and considering you you tend to think these are the only options out there you you convince yourself that it's it's these ones and that's it you give it a week or a month and before you know it another car has been become you know for sale or there's another house on the market or you see a new job ad in the paper you i think giving it just say you waited a week or a month on a financial decision and nothing changed. Nothing changed at all. Uh, for me, I feel great that I waited that month and I still feel the same way. You're less likely to have a buyer's remorse or feel that you made the wrong decision. I'm a very conservative person. So for me, taking a sleeping on it for me, it might be a month. Somebody else, it might be a week. That's plenty for them. But I, I think if I give it a month, you tend to reflect and say, you start asking the hard questions. You know, does my life currently suck because I don't have this bigger house? Or does my life currently suck because I don't have a $65,000 truck? You tend to, I tend to look at it that way saying, is this going to bring me lasting joy and happiness? Or is, is this just a utility in my life? So I... Like, like the camera is a great example. All those lenses, were they really going to deliver what you wanted? Sleeping on it, you know, you wake up and say, wait a minute, what's all this crap in my cart on Amazon? <laughs> what, what was I thinking? I must have been drinking last night. Like, how did, how did I get two cameras and six lenses in here? Like, that's crazy. You know, after a, a, a late night, I'll wake up and see six, seven Bluetooth earbuds <laughs> in my Amazon cart. And I think, wow, what was I doing last night? Boy, too much coffee or something. So I think you just, a good night's sleep even can make a difference, right? So just, just sleeping on it. So I think this is, this is really just taking a pause, a sober second thought. So sleeping on it's an expression, but it's really not having a hair trigger on a major financial decision, I think is the, the, the point they're trying to make here. So what I'm gathering from that is that you have never slept on something and then regretted pushing pause. Well, the risk is the thing you were going to buy is no longer available or the job you were going to take is, you know, the offers expired or, or the house you wanted, you know, it, you, it's no longer there. So, or here's the big one, the, the, the refrigerator on sales, no longer on sale. So that one, because that's where, isn't we talk about how inaction is in action. So is kind of postponing maybe because those are those are big financial decisions which should not be taken lightly. So if we 
postpone if we if we let life slip by without kind of taking action is that what what is that saying i guess it, it really de- so if i think of a house and the transaction costs involved in buying and selling houses getting it wrong is really expensive you know getting that wrong and undoing that's going to cost you a lot of money and, and time and energy so i, I would I don't mind pausing and maybe losing an opportunity to know I didn't make a mistake. Just say it was a refrigerator. And I put that in the major financial decisions because for me, if something's going to last you, it's going to be a five or 10 year commitment. That to me falls under major financial purchase. So a refrigerator, you can spend up to you know thousands of dollars in a fridge. So if I get that wrong, the best I can do to fix that is is sell that fridge secondhand. And I'm going to take a loss on that, right? So getting getting it wrong is going to cost you money. So and then ending up, say you end up with a fridge that's too big for your kitchen and you 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 try to live with that and it becomes unworkable and then you have to get rid of it. Like I, I just think for me, I'd rather have missed an opportunity and not got it wrong. So in action. So, so here's where Ian actually say I needed a, a fridge or just say, okay, I need a car. If I wait too long, I'm going to end up having to buy whatever car is for sale the day mine stops working. I don't want to be in that situation. So in inaction for too long is going to, going to cause a, a, a serious problem. And may, I may end up buying a car I don't want or don't like be, because I desperately need a car. So I guess you want to, you want to, avoid being in a position of desperation so in in this financial making major financial decisions i I guess having a life plan or or having some vision on like furnaces they 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 tend to give you a a hint that they're going to stop working so you don't want to be a position where you need whatever like you don't want to put a furnace in when your stops working you want to put a person before your furnace fails so i i think you have to be somewhat proactive. So I, I think just being aware of your surroundings and know, being conscious of your, your, your car's reliability, they tend to give you signs. So I, I think you're right about your point. Inaction is an action, but I think there's a compromise in there somewhere. No, and I definitely have to agree with that. I want to move on to this sixth thing to consider when making a major financial decision. And when I was reviewing this article before we started recording, my the jury was out on how strongly I believe this this point or agree with it. And it, the point number six is go with what you know. So here's the problem with this one is, so like I was saying with my bicarring th- philosophy, it's 10 years old. So what I, how I, I knew how to buy a car 10 years ago and I was pretty successful at it. I, I'm not, I'm very unsure of that process today so i'm not going with what i know i i'm gonna re-educate myself on on all the pitfalls of buying a used car but there there's 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 this thing there's there's things you know you don't know and there's things you don't know that you don't know if that makes sense so an example of the things you know you don't know is you know you don't know if you're gonna drive this thing for five years and the transmission's gonna fail you can't possibly know that, especially if you're buying a used car, right? Transmissions fail on cars and it just happens, right? It's just a a malfunction. So you know you don't know if you're going to ever have to put a transmission in this car. But the things you you don't know that you don't know is is if you haven't done your due diligence, you might not know there's a bunch of recalls on this car. And that's a sign of maybe a poorly engineered car. So if you... If you don't do some research, you're going to end up with a whole bunch of, I don't know what I don't know. And so they end up being this uninformed, uneducated buyer in the market. And sellers will spot you, spot you being uninformed from a mile away and take advantage of you. So I think you have to educate yourself so you you know as much as you possibly can about this major financial decision. So I think that, or if say you're going to, you're thinking of taking a new job, 
there's no way you can possibly know what it's like to work for this new boss you might have. Until you actually work with them, you'll never know that they have bad Mondays, right? You'll never know that. There's no way to find that out. So you go into it knowing you don't know that. So that's a risk you're willing to take. So it's a, it becomes a calculated risk. I know that this person might hate Mondays. I'll have to live with that if that's the case. But I don't know what I don't know. This place, if you don't do your research, maybe this new company, they turn over employees every year. Just It's something they do, right? They just go through people because they just, you don't do what they say and they, they just fire people on a whim. So if you don't do your research and you don't know that, then then you'll what happens is you'll feel real crappy about your decision because you didn't do your due diligence. I absolutely love that distinction. It's an incredible point, and and it kind of spins what my initial thoughts were on were at this point in that you kind of you 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 figure out all that you can and then like you said if you if this is something you can live with this is something you can live with about the car you're about to purchase if if this is something you can live with like you said the job you're about to um, pursue then then you know at least that what you're dealing with let's move on to the second last thing to consider and that is there's no perfect answer so never fall victim to hindsight you know, d- d- don't be able to separate, you know, when, when, if you make a big financial decision and things go wrong, like just say you bought a house and your neighbors are just horrible, or just say you bought a house and then you end up with new neighbors and they're horrible. That's hindsight. You, you had, you couldn't have known that. Like there, there's no perfect answer. So it, it, it tends to be a series of compromises in, in big financial decisions, right? You, you you're never going to get everything perfect every time but don't don't beat yourself up with hindsight that that is something i i used to do and and it would be my wife that opened my eyes she says how could you have possibly known that when you were making the decision and that's what you have to ask yourself is there then don't fool yourself so if you could have known this before you made your big financial decision but you didn't then your process is flawed and you need to fix it but if there's no way you could have possibly known this bad outcome when you were making your decision, then then just know that you did all you could. There there is no there's no perfect answer to every decision. You, there it tends to be compromises that have to be made on every major financial decision. And I cannot agree more with that. So let's let's touch on the final the final point within this article of of ways that we make financial decisions and what we should consider. And point number eight and the final point is trust yourself to make the right decision. So Trevor, with this point, how how heavily do you do you rely on on just a really believing yourself that you're making that that perfect not perfect but the best decision for you with what you know? So I'm planning to retire early in life, age 55. And with that comes some risk, right? So I, I, there's a lot of assumptions built into my plan. And when I was, I'll say 10 years ago, I was looking at this plan saying, I don't think I can do it because I was looking at every possible thing going wrong, right? So I, I looked at the markets were going to tank right when I retired my house would be crumbling around me, needing repair on top of repair. And I will have developed this spending habit that, that would just drive me into the poor. You know, I, I was looking at my financial situation with every possible... I, I was trying to have a, an anecdote to every possible problem. And the reality is, when you make a major financial decision the chances of everything going wrong, everything that could go wrong going wrong is highly unlikely. I mean, statistically speaking, if you take a new job, your boss may suck. Maybe you got that wrong, but your coworkers may be the best people you ever met in your life. So, and if, if you buy a house it, it may, it may turn out to need a, more repairs than you ever thought, but your neighbor 
might be the handiest guy you ever met and just is over knocking on your door saying, do you need any help today? Right, right, right. The, the, the chances of everything going wrong is so unlikely. So trust yourself to make the right decision in that. Don't try to have a solution to every possible problem that could come up in your, every. don't try to accommodate everything that could possibly go wrong in your decision. Assume some things are going to go right. And that's why I think trust yourself to make the right decision is if, if for me, if, if I, if I can even entertain the idea of retiring at 55, I must've made a whole bunch of right decisions in life to get to that point. So the chances of me all of a sudden making bad decisions from that point forward is highly remote. And, and I'm counting on that. I'm going to continue to make good decisions, uh, conservative decisions, safe decisions, that's what got me here and that's what gonna, that's what's going to carry me through. I I do really like that distinction how how well you have to f- be able to to maybe plan for the worst that you also do sh- you should expect the the, the best in a, in a sense when it comes to you things you can't control about yourself. So Trevor, that brings us to the end of this article by Ryan Ginna from cashmoneylife.com on eight tips to help you make a major financial decision and on that note that brings us to the end of today's episode make sure to send us your tip that you use when making major financial decisions that has been your game changer we'd love to review those in an upcoming listener write-in episode thank you so much for being here this this week we'll have this article linked in our show notes you can refer back to it We can't wait to have you back here with us next week for another episode. Until then, keep it simple.